0: Welcome to C-Suite Interviews, where leaders from across the business spectrum share ideas about how to help organizations thrive. Whether working in the nonprofit, public, or private sectors, you'll hear tips from emerging, newly minted, and veteran leaders that are sure to enlighten and inspire, all aimed at helping you learn more, become more, and contribute more. If you're ready, pull up a chair and listen to this week's episode
1: everyone john here welcome to this episode of c-suite interviews where the goal is to help leaders be enlightened and inspired so that we can do a better job for our organizations and then this week we're going to meet somebody who's going to help us do just that we're going to meet matt fulbrook matt is the manager at the clarkson center for board effectiveness at the rotman school of management at the university of toronto Uh, I met Matt about a year and a half ago when I was attending courses there at the university on governance, and he did a wonderful job of helping me understand the difference between an executive versus a directive's role in the boardroom and how to be very effective in those missions. I think you're really going to enjoy meeting Matt. At the end of that program, I asked him if he would join us on the show, and he graciously agreed to uh, join us today. Also, of note, at the end of today's podcast and with the show notes, Matt has suggested some additional resources if you'd like to continue your studies on board effectiveness. So with that, let's go ahead and move right into today's podcast and welcome Matt Polbrook. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show. How are you?
2: I'm good, John. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, of course. So in the introduction, I was explaining to our listeners that you and I met at uh, the Rotman University up in Toronto, and that's without a T, right? You, I think you've taught me how to say that correctly.
2: <laughs> right, yeah, you got it. You yeah. got it. That's a, and, if you uh, say it that uh, way, people won't know where you're from.
1: There you go. And, um, well, I just thought our listeners to the show, who are leaders, would really appreciate hearing from you, your point of view, and your expertise. And, you know, all of us head to the boardroom on a monthly basis, it seems like, if you're an executive, and and we do so, some of us, with anticipation, some with apprehension, and it's, uh, I'd love to know why you decided to go there and make that the place for your profession. If you could tell our listeners a little bit about that, that'd be great.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly the, the reason why I I've stuck with this. I'll tell you in a second how I got here. But the reason why I have stuck with it is exactly because it's both fun and a little bit terrifying. Right. It's uh, there's it's not even just the unexpected. It's the fact that there's consequences. You know, you get in the room and the decisions that people are making. Actually, matter. So you know, you, the the first time I was in a boardroom, I was um, I was there as a consultant, but I was there sort of as the junior consultant, the guy who's going to uh, sit in the background and uh, and not really say much. And and that was great. And you see that it's an amazing combination of the technical and professional stuff, and then also that like soft, dirty human interaction stuff. Um, But the reality didn't hit me until I first was in a boardroom solo, uh, which, as these things tend to be, it was completely unexpected. My partner uh, had canceled at the last second, and there I am in front of a very suspicious board. I was 24 years old, and they were expecting someone else. And it went pretty poorly, to be honest. But when you're flying solo in a boardroom you start to get a feel for what are those burning questions what are the things that boards actually expect what are the things that management expect from boards and you start realizing the difference that they're making and i started to see the opportunities that i'd have to make a difference to them and as my understanding and aptitude around governance has grown That's really what's kept me there is the fact that I can help people make better decisions and those decisions actually make a meaningful difference to those organizations.
1: Yeah, I can see that. So you said uh, two things as you were talking there, management and board. And from your vantage point, what are the duties, what are the differences between what management is trying to accomplish in those meetings versus the board's duty?
2: The biggest difference is that essentially every duty that managers have has been delegated to them by the board and that's that's a dynamic that often neither side fully appreciates and a lot of the time that delegation most of the time that delegation has happened way before any of the current incumbent managers or directors were there mm-hmm. and they haven't really sat back and asked themselves what should the boundaries be you know when, have we really done this delegation the way that it works best for our organization today. And like I said, the difference is that the board really gets to choose where the boundaries of the board are and where the boundaries of management are. And management certainly doesn't have any type of authority like that. Um, So the dynamic that happens is in a lot of cases now you see boards where the board's role is is as we like to say in some of our programs nose in fingers out right they've got the oversight role but they're not actually operating anything Hmm. but that's not a rule at any moment if the board so chooses they can run the organization they have no there's no boundary other than the ones that they've imposed on themselves and those boundaries are usually very sensible and really practical but The this is the biggest difference between board and management is really management serves at the pleasure of the board.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, those responsibilities are delegated to us. So that's one of the duties of the board. Um, When you think about high performing boards, what are you noticing? What are you learning? What could you convey to us that, you know, we see a high performing board? What are they doing?
2: One of the things that I've learned, and I, just before I, I directly answer the question, one of the things that I've, I've started to avoid is using the, the term "best practice." Um, I I can't think of one behavior or practice or structure or process that is ideal for every organization in all cases, or even for the same organization over a long period of time. And the key to sort of transcending this need for for best practices, and this is, in my opinion, what makes a really high-performing board, is is self-awareness, openness to change, uh, openness to constructive conflict, uh, having a drive to, to consider deeply implementation of formal processes, but simultaneously wanting to go further than just ticking boxes. Um, and this it's a fine balance, right? It's a very um, human balance, because really what we've got here is a group of human beings who are there with a hopefully united purpose of, of um, doing what's best for the organization. But the processes and paths to doing what's best are going to evolve over time, and they're going to change depending on circumstances. And the boards that, that underperform are the ones that don't have, whether it's the courage, or the aptitude or the time to step back and ask themselves, are our processes that we've been using still good? If they are, what can we do to make them even stronger? If they're not, what do we need to consider in order to design and develop and implement new processes that are gonna enable us to be better in the future? But that takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of time to step back and ask yourself those questions because it can be really intimidating.
1: Yeah. I like that notion of it not being best practice. And I think I hear what you're saying is what common boards do that are high performing is they're just very present in the moment. What are we doing now? And what do we need to do now? Because just keeping it really um, just just appropriate to the moment and being willing to change. I think that's exactly.
2: exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And and it's a it's just uh, this may sound paradoxical I'm not sure but it's it's an orientation to the now and to the future and it's when the boards are looking at the past where they get into real trouble.
1: Yeah. Well that sounds like there's a nexus then for the leader's role or the executive's role in the boardroom. Maybe you can talk about what they can be doing to be very effective in that partnership in the boardroom.
2: Yeah, you need to you need to be really uh, aware of how you can help the board help you. Right. Part of their their job in most cases is going to be to support you, to let you know what information they need and to help you enable them to make good decisions. And the the, their, the biggest com- or the most common uh, complaint of, let's say, a CEO about their board is that they feel under supported. They feel rudderless. They feel like you've got this body there and it's essentially your boss, but they're not providing you with the guidance that you need a lot of the time if that's happening it's because the board doesn't know that you don't that you're not getting what you want and so you need to be clear with them about the feedback that you need you need to to make sure that if you feel like they're not asking enough questions or they're not asking deep enough questions so that you come out of a decision and say well you know they approved it but i'm not so confident that they really got it or that they really that it was very thoughtfully executed so You need to be able to come out of it feeling confident that they get it. And if you're not confident, the the CEO and management team need to be, they need to have the guts to say to the board, look, we're not getting the support that we need. Um, And let's work together to create a culture, a set of processes, whatever it is that you need to feel mutual confidence that, You've got the support and they've got the decision-making power in order to make the organization as 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 powerful as possible.
1: Yeah. What you're talking about it helps me kind of bridge to my next thought as, as I was hearing you talk and that, hey, boardrooms are evolving, businesses are evolving. We're talking about the pace of change and <clears throat> disruption is is accelerating. Is there advice that you would give the inhabitants of the boardroom, both management and, and our volunteers sometimes or or board members who are paid? about, yeah, it's changing, and this is how boardrooms need to change. Is there anything that you're seeing out there that would help us?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if, that, if I, that I can tell you anything that's really going to be helpful as much as I can say, look, everybody in the world, most people in the world are concerned about the potential impact of a lot of big changes, whether it be technological changes, demographic shifts, climate change, big, big things. And all of those have the potential to have a significant impact on an organization virtually no matter where it is in the world and no matter what sector it's in, no matter what industry. And when it comes down to it, the board has the ultimate responsibility to guide that organization through those challenges. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about people who are superhumans. Not everybody knows all the answers to everything, but the board is responsible for empowering themselves with the information and knowledge that they need in order to take those things into consideration right so you've got the the organization is facing all these tremendous risks they're so they're so big that it's almost impossible to completely conceive of them the board needs to feel sufficiently confident that they understand the potential impact of these problems they understand the technical aspects of what management needs to do in order to to handle themselves through these problems and they have the, the wherewithal to provide value-added decisions in order to guide the organization through that. Now, I, I, I don't think what I'm saying is, is advice as much as it's saying we've got to have our heads up. Boards need to be really aware of these risks that they're facing. And they're not risks that are, are necessarily specific to your industry. Some of them are global, let's say, generic risks. Everyone's facing them. Yeah. Um, but, and they're very difficult and they require a huge amount of work in order to manage them.
1: Yeah. So if you were committed to that idea, of, okay, I want to show up in the boardroom and I and I want to do better, um, and I know I need to spend some time thinking about this so that I'm really present. What you've said, um, is there anything that you could orient our listeners to, either a book, some white papers, and we can add these to the show notes as resources for folks who are interested? That would help us get our bearings. You know, some quality materials, some quality information to help us out.
2: So I would start by, and this is, it's, I'll start less specific and I'll get more specific. I would start by, by having regular conversations around the board table about where you feel like your blind spots are. You know, if you're facing risks around uh, emerging technology, um maybe your your management team can help you there maybe you just need to have a dedicated session to get the board up to speed sometimes you need to have an outside uh educator or an outside expert come in and do a half day just to get you there just to get you asking the right questions and knowing what you don't know and a lot of that is just knowing How do i ask the right questions in order to get the information that i need and that's a really difficult place to get to for people who aren't technical experts in these areas so i strongly recommend that boards step back every once in a while and say look where are we facing some significant risks whether it's today or even if it's 10 years in the future that might have a significant impact on the success of our organization let's get ourselves closer to up to speed on this even if it's baby steps it helps um, as far as, uh, I want to point people towards a really uh, specific case, and this isn't something where you need to where you need to find specific, like an article or anything like that, because everyone's heard of it. I want to think about Wells Fargo. And, and you, if, for, for anyone who's listening who sort of forgets what happened, what happened was you had a whole lot of people sell, selling or quote unquote selling products to customers without the customers knowing in order to meet sales targets. And by all accounts, it was a culture of great fear for those people who were selling. There was too much at stake. their, Their jobs were at stake and the performance targets were too high. And so they ended up doing very bad things. Now, a lot of people in my industry are asking, well, imagine these board members had spent even five minutes In the presence of these people, they would have noticed that something was wrong. And there's a shift, I think, among a lot of the the more sort of self-aware boards where they're saying, we need to spend, we need to get our hands a little bit more dirty, not in the operations of the organization, but in the becoming more aware of the realities of our people and of our plants or our branches or whatever, just to have a bit more um, practical, real-life awareness of how this organization works, and if all it takes is a visit to a site or a branch once a quarter, and all of a sudden you've got your eyes open to things like Wells Fargo, you know, things like toxic culture, things like fear, things like perhaps in the worst case scenarios, criminal activity, or unhappy people where you have an opportunity to bri- to raise this and, and make positive change. I think that we've got a lot of different examples. I mean, Volkswagen would be an interesting one and Wells Fargo is a great one. There's a lot of them where the board had an opportunity to become a little bit more familiar, have a bit more of a relationship with the day-to-day realities of the people working in their organizations and big problems could have been avoided.
1: I really like that idea of using current events of failures as a learning lab to talk about, you know, about the Wells Fargo. We actually did our own kind of autopsy where, from our vantage point, what we thought happened and with our board reviewed that. Um, For example, in the Wells Fargo example, what happened to the audit function that it wasn't reporting up, right? And that wasn't seen. So there was a failure there as well and so just a good way for us to kind of trace our own steps you know, about is our audit function reporting and strong and independent? And um, I really like that idea of, of using now kind of current studies to help us think about things. Um, yeah, that's very helpful. How about a book, Matt? If there's the one book I should have on my executive shelf that I should turn to, go put my hand on, what would you recommend?
2: Well, okay, I'm going to point you to a Canadian. Look, and, and and for the American listeners, there is some stuff in here that's Canada specific, but it is, in my opinion, the absolute best reference book for all the practical stuff about corporate governance. And it's literally called Corporate Governance, and it's by a, a lawyer in Toronto named Carol Hansel. And she has, it's it is the reference book for governance, and we use it all the time. And I highly recommend it for anyone who is on a board or wants to be on a board or who interacts with boards it's valuable despite the fact that there's a few sort of legal nuances that are Canada specific. I would recommend it to everybody.
1: Okay. That's good. We'll add that to our show notes for our listeners so uh, uh, they can get their hands on that. Thanks for that reference. Um, There's something else about uh, Matt, your practice that, I think, deserves explanation, and it was a choice that you made, and that you work for boards, you don't work for management teams, and that's kind of your emphasis and your focus, and, you know, talk us through that decision and why you think that works, and just a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, so I'll give you, I'll, I'll explain to you in general, and then I'll give you a specific kind of silly example of, of how it, it could manifest in real life. Um, so one of the things, is one of the very few things that all boards to, seem to agree on is that Part of their job is to, for instance, hire and fire the CEO, compensate the CEO. And so when I am working for a board or when I'm working with respect to a board and the board is my client, they can, without conflict of interest, engage me to help them improve any number of different things. And that might include um, evaluation, it might include the facilitation of effective discussions, it might include um, simple things like how do we structure a board meeting so that we can get the best stuff done. Mm -hmm. And, And if I'm approached to do that exact same work by a CEO, First of all, my point of contact is the CEO rather than the board. And so there's one level of of um, disconnect between me and where the actual impact I'm making happens. But more importantly, and this is regardless of what the CEO's intentions are, the CEO working to improve the board is an inherently conflicted position because the C- the decisions that the board makes affect the CEO's livelihood and job, and there is room there for the CEO to direct me as a service provider in ways that are self-interested in a way that the board is not oriented to do. So for example, I got a call, this was a number of years ago, and I'll give no identifying details, but I got a call from a CEO who strongly believed that their board should have no involvement in their their compensation. They said they, all they should be all they should do is, is approve it. Don't you think so? And I said no, I don't. And she said, well, I need you to help me convince my board that that's the way it should be anyway. And I said I'd like to speak to your chair, please, and, and sort of see what's going on. And I spoke to the chair, and the chair just said, help. We are we are. It's a disaster. We, you know, <laughs> we don't know what to do. And I said, look. First of all, I won't work for your CEO. Um, second of all, we, you guys have some personal stuff you need to deal with before I'm gonna to you know get involved here. But the the problem is, and that's an extreme example, but even the best intent intention CEO, there's a there's potential there for them to direct my services in a way that is rather than being in the board's interests. Being in their own interests, and that's just a conflict that I need to avoid in order to do the, do the best job that I can.
1: Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I understand the points of view, right? And being a CEO, I know what my point of view is going to be, but it is just one, right? Right. And the board, in our case, is eleven folks, and those eleven points of view need to be uh, counseled and and have somebody in their corner. And it's something that, uh, it being a more mature CEO, I'm getting more comfortable with. I'd rather have a well-informed, well-trained, well informed, well trained, well communicating board amongst themselves, being clear on what their objectives are, um, that makes my operating world a lot better if, if they're all together. And um, I guess I've, I've come to, just in my own terms, come to peace with that idea that, that that's actually a good thing. And maybe that leads to a, another question,
2: which you is- You get much, much more support as, as an executive. executive, too.
1: I think so, too. Yeah, yeah that's what we're learning. Um, is there an optimal time that you should be working with a board? Like how was well, the a work yeah yeah
2: the dream would be for for a board to call me when things are going great and they want things to get even better when they say look our our organization is absolutely on fire with the relationship we've got inside the boardroom and with the management team is wonderful and we've got an opportunity here to take a step back and optimize our our composition, optimize our processes, optimize, optimize our time allocation, maybe do a little bit of education to get us ready for something even better. And we don't have the distractions of crisis or crisis may be a little bit too dramatic. We don't have the distractions of real life, you know, getting yeah. in the way. And we can just take a step back and make things as good as possible without those distractions. So that's the best time. Um, the worst time would be a time of crisis. I, I mean, I've I really tend to turn away governance work when a board is in emergency mode, because what happens is even if we work really hard on crafting um, solutions to problems that exist today, those problems tend to be very transient when you're in crisis mode. Things can one day to the next get much, much worse or much much better. and the solutions that you've crafted can immediately become obsolete and some and you need something either more fine-tuned or what happens is when as things get better, the crisis solutions end up being completely irrelevant very quickly and you say, man, I wish I'd spent time. Crafting something that was looking toward the future instead of crafting something that was designed to to get us through a crisis And this is strictly from a governance perspective I mean sometimes governance solutions are crucial during a crisis and that doesn't I'm not trying to say that I won't go there But it's certainly not the best time.
1: Yeah, it just reminds me of the idea of you know, urgent and important, right? If everything is urgent yeah. and as a management practice um, That doesn't work right we're behind the curve instead of getting ahead of it as you're as you're explaining, you know
2: Exactly.
1: Hey, so the boardroom is a high energy place. It's uh, because it's a yeah. high impact place, and um, for me, God, there's just no other place to be. I mean, if it's running right, you can get so much done, but it does require energy. And I like to get away from the boardroom to reflect and kind of cool my jets and and and, and restore my energy to come back to it, you know, completely renewed. And so, what do you like to do? Uh, you know, when you're away from the office, away from the boardroom, what does Matt do to recharge?
2: Well, I've got uh, my my third life outside of my my job at the university and my job as a consultant is uh, is as a musician. I spend a huge amount of my time. Um, I've got an original uh, touring band called Casey Roberts and the Live Revolution. There's seven of us. I'm the bass player, and it's, it's a an huge part of my life. I'm very, very spoiled to be able to do that on top of the other stuff that I do. You know? So, so that, that's my answer. I, I'm a musician, and, and I absolutely love it.
1: Hey, can we add that to the show notes?
2: Sure. Yeah, I can send you some stuff.
1: Yeah, I'd love to see that and, and listen to that. Um, well, Matt, we're coming up to the top of our time here, and just want to thank you for spending time with us and our listeners today. Um, I, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and continue to learn from you. And if we may, would you come back and talk to our listeners again at another time?
2: Anytime, John. You know, my I'm at your service. Hey,
1: that's fantastic. Well, to all of our listeners and to Matt, Matt thank you for being here today and bye for now.
2: Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of C-Suite Interviews. A couple of notes. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can show your support for these podcasts by going to iTunes and rating the episode that you listened to with 5 stars. And please tell others about the C-Suite Interviews and the CEOCorner.com, where you can find resources such as articles, tools, and videos to help all aspects of leadership development. That's it for now. Thank you for listening to this episode.